We are in the midst of a series on prayer using the Lord's Prayer from Matthew to guide us in that. And so this morning we're going to consider the fourth petition of that prayer, what it means to pray for our daily bread. And pray that the Lord would be with us in this. This is God's Word is eternally true. This is from Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they might be seen by others. And truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's ask God for his help this morning. Father, we are always in much need. And again, this morning we ask that your Spirit would help us, that he would open our eyes and hearts, and that you would help me to speak clearly. We pray this in your good name. Amen. Give us this day our daily bread. It's, uh, it's an very, just like the rest of the Lord's Prayer, it's very common. We know it. We say it. We have probably repeated it thousands of times, depending on our age. And yet, I think, more often than not, uh, we rarely pray it in our own lives. Uh, lots of the other petitions of the Lord's Prayer, I think, we're pretty good at regularly praying for. We, we pray for other people. We pray for forgiveness. We pray for the kingdom of God to be spread abroad. Um, but this one, I'm not altogether certain that we actually have a pr- good track record of. And that's not just us here, but that's just us in general. Um, the first problem that we run into with this prayer is that there is this immense danger of wealth that stimmies this prayer. And it is no secret that uh, we here in this room, in this town, in this country are wealthy. We have an abundance. Uh, We have all kinds of things that kings of old, including Solomon and David, never had or even could fathom. I mean, just this room, heated, air-conditioned, padded seats. Those in and of themselves, amplification like this, just staggering wealth, staggering wealth. And Scripture is just full of warnings about the dangers of wealth. Um, This from Proverbs chapter 30, Remove from me falsehood and lying, and give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full 
and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. This is the problem that was going on in the desert with the exodus. Uh, When the Israelites exited Egypt, lots of things happened. But one of the things that happened was the Egyptians gave them a whole bunch of stuff. Wealth. All sorts of things. Enough to build the tabernacle and have lots more left over. And then they had, at various times successfully conquered different people during the time of the 40 years. And so they had all that wealth added to the wealth they took from the Egyptians. And so this is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Same sort of thing. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up. And that's not a good phrase. Your heart be lifted up in pride is what it means. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know so that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me my wealth. Now, if that doesn't sound like the American mantra, I don't know what in Scripture does. My hand and my might have gotten me my wealth. We all say that, don't we? Whether it's during our lifetime working or after we have finished work and we have built up a storehouse for ourselves, it's always my hand, my wealth, I did this. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, so that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. I think this is the most common sin that we have in regards to this petition. Give us this day our daily bread. We are very good at looking at our bank accounts and very bad at trusting in God. It's very difficult, and it is a matter of great wisdom, to figure out if we are like the foolish rich man who builds his barns and stores stuff, and then he has so much more left that he has to build bigger barns, and then God says of him, you fool! Tonight your soul is required of you. And the wise use 
and stewardship of the things God has given you. The difference between those is a matter of wisdom. And I would say this. It is found in whether or not you regularly pray, give us this day our daily bread. If that is not a prayer regularly given by you, you are building your own storehouses. Now the good news is about all these things is that Christ is quite big enough to cover over these sins too. And Zacchaeus, you should do well to remember, was a man who built his own storehouses and then God saved him. This is not a matter of salvation, but it is a matter of faithfulness for the Christian. We have very little faith to pray this prayer because we have very much faith in our own ability to provide. It's very difficult. And it is the reason why Jesus says things like, it's more difficult for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's when Paul says, the love of money is the root of all evil. It's very easy to fall into this trap and think, I, me, my, have gotten what I need and nobody else. And the reality is that God says very clearly to the Israelites and very clearly to us, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. It is he who rises up and he who puts down. It is he who makes lame and he who makes to walk. It is he and he alone. It is no sin, necessarily, to build wealth. It is a sin to build your kingdom and to think that it is your kingdom and not God's. The dangers of wealth I could preach 20 or 30 sermons on without even breathing hard but I want you to just feel this. This is a problem for us. Not just you, not just me, but for the wealth of America. It is a problem. And God, I believe, in his might and awesomeness will one day test us to see if our faith is in him or not. Do we trust God to provide daily? Or do we trust ourselves to provide daily? Now, a lot of you, like me, will immediately, in the midst of this conviction, go, yeah, but there was this time and this time and this time where I was desperate. Our faithfulness is not dependent on the past. It's dependent on the here and now. Yes, I'm sure you can all probably tell me stories, as I could tell you, of times when I did not know how I was going to eat. I was desperate. I prayed this prayer. Give me something. I don't have anything. And God always provided. And then as my bank account grew, that prayer got less. Just like it does for many of us. That we, and this is the second thing, we often confuse this prayer with thankfulness for what God has provided. We think we have prayed, give us this day our daily bread, when we sit at our table and we give thanks to God for His provisions. 
But thankfulness in the moment is not the same as desperation for God to act and provide. They're very different things. They're both good. You must give thanks for what God has given to you. But that is very different than pleading with God to actually give it in the first place. And so what we do oftentimes is if we can somehow get past this first point, which is our wealth is a hindrance to this prayer, and our love of wealth is a hindrance to this prayer, we go, oh, oh, no, you know, I don't actually fall into this trap. I'm actually a very thankful person. Thankfulness, though, is not the same as desperation with God to provide. And so instead of feeling the weight of our own sin and our own ability to provide, we just go, no, I'm very thankful. I I always give thanks. I'm always the first to say God has provided. That's good. You should say God has provided. But more than that, you ought to pray that he will provide. And again, this is all based on the same sort of principle we've been talking about, which is that God has promised to provide for his people. Over and over and over in Scripture. My people will not go hungry. My people will always eat. My people will not suffer for need or want. If God has said it, we ought to pray for it. This is how God has enabled us to live this life. He promises, we pray, He does. This is not also a in contrast or in contradiction to the many commands in Scripture to work. If a man does not work, he will not eat. If a man will not provide for his own household, he is worse than an unbeliever. God has given us, just like Deuteronomy says, the means by which to eat, which is work. But we are fools if we think just by virtue of our work, God will give us something. Because if we are not faithful in it, God will not be faithful to answer it. This is not works-based righteousness. This is discipline. This is discipline of those whom he loves, right? Again, from Deuteronomy... You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and then fed you manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, so that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord God disciplines you. We have to be very careful that we do not put the Lord our God to the test by never asking that he provide for us. But instead to please God by asking Him to provide. Trusting Him that He will give us everything we need and trusting the prelude to the prayer, which is that your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. 
We are on a foundation of absolute assurance that God will care for us. It is whether or not we will act in faithfulness to pray and to work so that God will provide for us. We can be assured, though, that He will and He can because, again, going back to the theme of the whole prayer, God is the creator and the sustainer of all things, and He is the Father of good gifts. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Later on in chapter 6, there is much to be told about this sort of thing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? God is compassionate on us. He knows that we're weak in this. He knows that you are weak in prayer and faith. And you are strong in pride. And he says, don't be anxious. Don't be checking your bank account to see if you will eat. Trust me. Pray to me. I will provide. Do not be worried. Look around you. Look around. I care for the whole world, the whole universe, all the time, because I am powerful and I am good. I will provide for you. Pray to me. I'll give it. I'm a good father. Remember his words, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more your father in heaven. God is immensely immensely good to teach us these things, to humble our hearts in this. I've had a lot of good wisdom imparted to me by people in my life about this. One of them being my mother. I don't know if I've told this from the pulpit. I think I've talked to at least some people here about this sort of thing. So my mother, her dad owned a furniture store. And then in 1999, we took it over. My mom did. I'm not going to get into the hairy details of that. But in 1999, I was 16. We took over the furniture store. I worked there until I went off to college. And then when I would come back, sometimes if I ever came back from college, I would work there. And then after college, I came and ran it for three years. And we would sit in our office, and it was like if you walked into the office, it was my desk, our manager's desk, my mom's desk at the far end corner. And, you know, we had bills to pay. Big bills. It's a furniture store. Some of them, many thousands of dollars. And so we actually bought best chairs here down in Ferdinand. Um, and so you'd get six, eight, ten thousand $10,000 bill from best chairs for however many chairs. And so I would go, okay, that bill is due in three days. And I would look at the bank account. And there would be discrepancy. 
We owe $6,000. We have $3,000. Now, our store was very small. We were not big. Um, a, a good year was two hundred and fifty to $300,000 in sales. That's very small, just so you know, for a furniture store. Tiny. Almost not makeable. But just barely. And so I would turn to my mom. So if you do the math, $250,000 a year, it's about $1,000 in sales a day. We are only open six days a week. I would turn to my mom and I would say, hey, mom, we're $4,000 short for a bill that's due in two days. And she would go, and? And I would go, well, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you know math. You know, I was a very kind son. But those are different amounts than we normally make. And she would basically, this is a paraphrase of many of these conversations. But in essence, this is what she said. I thought I raised you to be a Christian. God always provides, and he will provide. Why are you talking to me about this? That's basically what she said to me on a lot of occasions. And some of that, thankfully, has stuck. But a lot of that sort of stubborn faithfulness, I, I don't have sometimes. It's hard to trust God to do impossible things like provide in ways that you can't fathom. Um, and yet my mom was good at that. It was one of her gifts, I think. Um, is one of her gifts. She's not dead. She's very much alive. It's not one of, used to be one of her gifts. Sorry about that. Um, This is the sort of faithfulness, though, that Scripture commends. This is the widow's might sort of thing. This is Jesus watching and Jesus saying, this woman just put in more than all the rest of them. This is Paul's commendation of the Macedonians out of their great poverty they gave. What a great commendation. Because this is the, this is the fourth thing. Generosity flows from this prayer. It's the exact opposite of the, the man who builds his barns. Who God says, fool, your soul is required of you. You, you will never get to use any of this. Generosity flows from this prayer. Give me today my daily bread. Which means, I can freely give because I am praying and trusting that God will provide. Generosity does not flow from wealth. It flows from faith. If you give because you are wealthy... That's not generosity. Generosity is giving because God provides. That's generosity. I was reading various commentaries this week. I have no idea who this guy is. He was quoted in a different commentary. His last name is Q-E-E-S-N-E-L. Q-U-E-S-N-E-L. No idea. I didn't look him up. But this is what he says, and I think it's fantastic. Prayer requires heart rather than tongue. Sighing 
rather than words. Faith rather than reason. If you can rationalize a way in which God might do the thing you think he ought to do, that's not faith. That's telling God what he ought to do. Prayer is, I don't know, help. Generosity is the same. Somebody asks you, how will, how, will God, how will you get food the next day? I don't know. Think of talking to the widow the day she gave her two cents. You could walk up to her, as I think most of us would, and say, how will you eat tomorrow now that you have no money? But God called that faith. Generous. So if we are to be generous with one another, with those outside the church, this has to be our prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And we have to believe it when we pray it. And then we will be free to be generous. We will be free to be generous beyond anything we had hoped to do in our great wealth. It's no secret that some of the richest men in the world give a lot of money away. Um, In fact, I forget what the group is called. But uh, years ago now, Bill Gates organized a group of billionaires that promised to give away half of their wealth by the time they died or at their death. So he said to a bunch of billionaires, give away half your billions. It's a lot of wealth. It's a lot of money. In the eyes of God, nothing. In the eyes of God, two cents from a widow, significantly more than all the billions Bill Gates and his buddies could ever give away. Because one was in faith and one was not. One was with the prayer, give me this day my daily bread. And one was, I have abundance, I'll give out of my abundance. I don't know. God provides, therefore give. This is where generosity is built and maintained. And finally, going back to something I read earlier, the testing of the desert was so that they would know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. If we have so little faith that the things that we can see and touch are given to us by God, is it any wonder that our faith in the salvation that belongs to the Lord Jesus is so frail? That we don't feel desperate in our prayers to him to forgive us of our sins. To cleanse us from righteousness. That we don't feel the absolute unending weight of going with him to him in desperation saying, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. If we have so little faith in the physical of God's provision... It means our faith in the spiritual is also quite weak. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Our faith is not faith in the physical. 
faith in the spiritual. Completely separate, two different things. I'm faithful over here, and I'm faithful over here. They're all mashed together in ways that are very hard to pull a string out one way or the other. But they are intertwined. And it is a heart check. If we are not trusting in God for his physical provisions, are we trusting in him really for our spiritual provisions, which are impossible to get tangibly. Like you can't, you can't pick up Jesus' blood and sprinkle it on you. You can't see his broken body. That was the whole thing that he was saying to Thomas. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. There is this real tangibleness to this prayer that ought to make us feel very weak in our faith. And so we say, well, we read and agree with when Jesus says about those who worry about tomorrow, oh, you of little faith. And we say, yes, I am of little faith. I can barely trust you to provide my daily meals. And it is even harder to trust that my eternal soul is not bound up and lost every day, but is eternally secure in your son Jesus. That's hard to believe when I look at what's actually happening, when I look at my own sin, when I see the reactions that I have to people. It's very hard. This is the petition, give us this day our daily bread. And though it is more than just physical food, it is all things that God deems necessary for life. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily shelter. Give us this day our daily relationships. Give us this day our daily, all of these things. And underneath all of them, Give us this day our daily bread, who is Christ our Lord. Are we daily dependent, asking that God would feed us anew every day on Christ? Or do we trust that we got enough yesterday, or the week before, or two months before, or ten years ago to last us a lifetime? Or do we daily go, if you don't feed me, I will die about our Lord. God always gives us things that show us our own sin and His desire and power to save. And finally, one last thing. This is not just about the physical nourishment of our bodies or the spiritual nourishment of our bodies as though it's simply the act of chewing and swallowing and digesting that gives you everything you need or of hearing the word preached and going about your way as though that is what you actually need. There is a secondary effect that has to happen for both the physical and the spiritual, 
It's not just the act itself. It's the blessing of God on that act to do the thing it's supposed to do. You could eat, swallow, digest, and grow sick and deathly. There are diseases that do that. doesn't matter what you eat. You die anyway. You starve to death. Some of them as simple as something like a tapeworm. who takes all your nutrients and destroys it. And so it is not enough just to go through the act of eating. It's that God would bless the food to your body. And so we pray not just that the daily bread would be given, but that God would bless it spiritually and physically, that he would nourish us both in our physical and spiritual lives. That we wouldn't just be consumers in some coarse way, but that God would actually feed us, sustain us, keep us physically and spiritually by the word, by the bread, both physically and spiritually. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, let us be aware of our own distrust in God, our own trust in ourselves. Let us be aware that we often confuse thankfulness for prayers for provision. Let us know that God is able abundantly to provide and that generosity flows from this prayer. And that we do not live by bread alone, but by the blessing and work of God to provide and to sustain, and to actually do the work of nourishing us. Let's pray this morning for this, and then we will close with song.